Welcome to Niner Sports Talk. I'm your host, Sam Perry, and the transfer portal is officially open, and it's the holiday season, so you know what that means, Niner Nation. It's Biffmas time here in the Queen City. I'll recap the remarkable transfer class Charlotte football is putting together, as well as look back to Charlotte basketball's respective trips to in-state ACC opponents. For our special guest from the Charlotte Knights and Charlotte Checkers joins us to discuss working in the sports world, then after that, we'll wrap it up with some professional sports news that could have drastic ripple effects for all of professional sports. So looking at the Charlotte football transfer class, head coach Biff Pogey told us in the, after the final game he was going to be bringing in some older guys with a little more experience to the program. Well, he brought in Tim Brewster to be the tight ends coach. Tim Brewster has a remarkable resume of being a very good recruiter. He was on Coach Deion Sanders' coaching staff last season at Colorado, and it looks like he's living up to the hype because Charlotte football right now has the ninth-ranked transfer recruiting class in the country. And Coach Poggi talked about they were going to target some offensive weapons. They need a new quarterback. They need some more wide receivers. Well, they found them a dual-threat quarterback in Max Brown from Florida. They also brought in wide receiver Justin Olson from Middle Tennessee, but he's actually transferred to there from Chapel Hill, so he's another Power 5 caliber guy. Then for the offensive line, they brought in three Power 5 guys to clog up the middle with Mitchell Mays from Clemson, Jordan Spasovich Mako from Texas A&M, and Maurice Clipper Jr. from Tennessee. Then on the defensive side of the ball, they brought in line they brought in a highly touted linebacker, Aiden Kaler, from Stony Brook. And then they went down to Columbia and took edge rusher DeAndre Martin from the South Carolina Gamecocks with another power five transfer. So far, Portal hasn't been open very long, and Charles looking to add even more to this already respectable and highly touted class as they look to rebuild and rebound for the second season under Coach Pogey. So a lot to be excited for if you're a Charlotte football fan. This program, we talked about it the last few weeks, it's a process building a program. Coach Pogey's had one year. This is going to be his second year of a recruiting class, and he's going to be bringing in technically like his first freshman class because he joined the team in January. It's not full recruiting season. So this is going to be his first year with a full recruiting class of his own guys, so it'll be very interesting to see how they do and see if he learned from his past mistakes this past season, see how the team performs going into the 2024 season. Charlotte's women's basketball traveled up to Winston-Salem last Thursday where they beat the Demon Deacons 69-58. to When we're talking about looking into that game, a big key piece of the team is Tracy Houston. If she could stay out of foul trouble, she was able to do that. She made her presence very well known shooting 9-for-14, really being an offensive presence inside with the team leading 21 points to help propel the Charlotte 49ers over the Demon Deacons. Major difference in that game was the fourth-quarter dominance from the Niners. They outscored Wake Forest 20-11 to as they went on to win by 11 points. And another major factor in that game was they out-rebound the Demon Deacons 33-25. to So that eight-rebound differential Proved to be very costly for the Demon Deacons as Charlotte takes on the win to go 6-4 and four on the season so far. As they look to go to Charleston Southern on Monday, December 18th at 6 p.m. Another road trip before they return home on December 21st, take on Davidson. And they end the 2023 calendar year with a home game versus North Texas to kick off conference play. Then for men's basketball, they traveled to Cameron Indoor Stadium to take on the Duke Blue Devils. 
and one of the biggest matchups program will have all season, taking on number 22-ranked Duke. They ultimately lost that game 80-56 to after just really poor three-point shooting proved really costly. Teams shot 20% from behind the arc, while the Blue Devils shot 56%. That's just not winning basketball. But it was close early. Six minutes into the game, Charlotte was only down 14-11. to Looked like they were hanging with them. And then it just spiraled out of control. Seven minutes after that, they're down 31-15. to I'm wondering what happened. Where'd the game go? Another big factor in the loss was Duke was able to get to the free throw line. They had 28 free throw attempts. I don't care how good the team is. You could have prime Kobe Bryant, prime Michael Jordan on there. Letting the opponent get to the charity stripe 28 times, it's hard to win those games. I'm not saying it's all on Charlotte because the rest were a little ticky-tack on that one, but... Overall, the team had some sparks of life. They kept the second half individual score close, only losing the second half 35-29, but overall left a lot to be desired as they look for their next game. In the game, Nick Graves shot two for three, had 10 points, four rebounds, three assists. Looked really good. He got into foul trouble early, which kind of spiraled into the issues the team faced. Look for more key contributions from him moving forward. He's really blossomed into a key starter for the team. And then Robert Broswell, I felt really bad for him in this game. He shot one for nine. He had some great looks, shots he normally would hit. I think he saw some lingering issues from the injury because the shots just weren't falling for him. I think if the shots start falling for him, the team could have potential to be a really dynamic offensive presence and he could look to be really successful in the future. As they go on to Richmond, Virginia, to take on the Richmond Spiders on December 16th at 7 p.m., before returning home to Halton Arena on December 22nd versus Greensboro College. Then they round out the 2023 calendar year with a road game at Stetson in Florida before they look to start the American Conference play. Up next is our first local sports media member. Joining the podcast today is a special guest and a good friend of mine. If you've gone to a Charlotte Knights game or a Charlotte Checkers game the last two years, you've probably been blessed with her bubbly personality. His presence really brightens up and uh, breathes life into the fan experience, whether on the diamond or on the ice. It's Charlotte Knights team reporter Kendall Smith. Kendall, thank you for joining us today. That was such a nice intro, Sam. I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said about me. I appreciate it, and I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get into like the nice and checkers stuff, I want to talk about you as a person, let the audience get to know you a little bit more. Um, I know you're like me. You had an old, older brother who played Division One baseball. What was that spark in, for you that made you really want to work in sports growing up? Well, I spent my whole life around sports, just like you did. So I think it was just the natural place that I enjoyed being growing up, and I never wanted to get away from it. So my parents got me a little ESPN microphone set when I was like five or six years old, and I would run around with that microphone and interview my brother after his Little League games. I never wanted to stop talking about sports. I would make my parents turn off the news and I would set up an anchor desk with Ottomans and I would talk to them as if I were a news anchor. So I love talking. You know that, Sam. I never shut up. I enjoy talking. I enjoy sports. So being a sports broadcaster was just the perfect storm of a career that I could have chosen. And it's been amazing so far. Speaking of ESPN, kind of had a full circle moment with that this year. That's your little bit of a connection with the 49ers. Your first job with ESPN was covering a 
women's soccer game. What was that experience like getting to hold the microphone with the ESPN flag on it? It was such a surreal experience. Like, I am so blessed and so grateful that I even had that opportunity. It was incredible. And that whole week leading up to it, the coaches were amazing. The players were great to talk to. I'm just extremely thankful to everyone who made that happen. But yeah, standing there with the ESPN logo on the microphone was a lifelong dream of mine accomplished. And I hope that I can hold it many more times and continue to do games for ESPN. But it was truly just a moment that I will never forget and a huge full circle moment for me. And to be able to do it in the city of Charlotte where I was born and raised means even more to me. Had another full circle moment recently. You covered the high school playoff championship game with Weddington High School. You went there. Wasn't one of your first jobs in sports with Weddington High School? Yes, good memory. My first job really ever in sports was as the PA announcer for the Weddington baseball team. So Andy Capone, who's the head football coach for Weddington, was there at my very first game when I was 15 years old for the baseball team because he was an assistant coach. He'd been there for me through technical difficulties. He helped me find a new microphone on one of our last games of the season when I was a senior and all of the audio wasn't working. Like He's been there for me through everything. I TA'd for our PE classes when I was a senior and that's what he teaches for Weddington. So it was a huge moment. I got contracted for that game with Sinclair Broadcast Group like two months ago. So I had no idea that Weddington would be in the state championship. I knew they were good. So I knew there was a chance. But this past weekend, having the opportunity to cover them and interview Coach Capone at halftime and after the game, after they won was unbelievable. And I couldn't believe that you know, eight years ago, I was sitting there at a little fold-out table announcing people's names on the PA, and now I was just on a regional broadcast where Weddington won the state championship at the 4A level. I'm looking to your current jobs with the Knights and the Checkers. Those are minor league levels of professional sports. Do you feel like working at the minor league level, you can almost have a better relationship with players, get to know them a little bit more as you work with your job? You know what? I do. I think that working in the minor league level is something that everyone should do at some point. I've never worked a major league baseball game and I haven't worked an NHL game, so I can't sit here and tell you exactly how it is. But I've been super fortunate to have the opportunity to develop really good relationships with the players that I cover and they trust me and I'm able to tell stories about them and ask them maybe the harder question and get those really, really good comments back from them when we're doing a post-game interview, whatever it might be. So I think everyone should work in the minors in some capacity, whether it's baseball, whether it's in hockey, because you learn a lot about yourself. Like it is a grind. It is not easy. You know that, Sam, you spent all of those days and hours here in the press box with the Charlotte Knights and you're going through rain delays and you're doing six games in a row and then you might get one day off and you're back at it for another homestand and it's six games in a row like it is constant it's go 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 hockey is very similar they don't have as many games but it's still a very full very long season that people go through but the beauty of it is you're in it with everybody whether it's the front office staff the people you work with the game day employees the team the coaches like everybody understands the grind of being in the minors because I would say that for most people working in the minors they probably have the ultimate goal someday of making their way up to the majors whether that is a player or someone like me or someone like you Sam like everyone kind of is going for the same thing and you're kind of in it together Uh, but it is such a fun experience and working for the Knights working for the Checkers has been 
awesome. I'm super thankful to both organizations. Again, this is my home city. So to have the chance to work for two teams that I went to their games when I was a kid and absolutely loved it is just something that I think my younger self would be floored by, but ecstatic about as well. I'm looking at the Knights. They have 75 home games a year. How do you manage having your really upbeat personality? Because you're kind of the face of the team for the fans. I get to hide in the press box. I don't have to stay as upbeat all the time. How do you manage that? I think it's just kind of always been my personality. Like I've always been just a positive, upbeat person. That's not to say I don't have my negative moments. Like I won't sit here and say I am perfect. I mean, you've definitely seen it for sure, Sam. Like I do have my moments where I am a black cloud, but I generally try to be the sunshine in most situations. And I just go back to like gratitude every single time. Like you can be so tired. And there are a lot of games where I am just exhausted and I worked a 17 hour day the day before and I'm back for another game and I'm tired and I don't necessarily want to be there and I'd rather be sleeping. But I think to myself how grateful I should be and how grateful I am to just have the opportunities that I have. So that's really where I draw a lot of my positivity and energy from. And the fans give it to me as well. Like I've met some of the most incredible people through my job and just to wave high at them or smile or take a picture or interact with them is the best thing in the world because they're all there trying to enjoy themselves and have so much fun. And if I can contribute to their experience in a positive way, I am truly grateful for that. In minor league baseball, there really is no off season for the teams. Like the Knights have the Light the Knights Festival this holiday season. Can you describe what that is? What's different this year than years past? Light the Knights is the best thing in the world. I love it. It is so much fun. We basically turn our minor league baseball stadium, which is the prettiest minor league stadium in the whole country, into the best holiday extravaganza that you could envision. We have a huge NHL regulation sized ice rink that is in the middle of the infield. So people can skate outdoors. You have the gorgeous Charlotte skyline, which is amazing. We have a snow tubing hill, which is super fun. I did it for the very first time last week. So it doesn't necessarily get snowy very often in Charlotte, but you can kind of experience it here at Light the Nights. If you're not into the sportier side of things you don't want to lace up your skates or get out there in snow tube we have choreographed light shows we have a 300 foot light tunnel so i enjoy seeing all the christmas lights that people put out we do a huge show here at the nights we have a holiday market that people can shop at we've got food we've got drinks we have the paper mill pub which is all holidayed out if you will it's got holiday drinks there so basically anything that anyone could want we have here at the light the nights festival it's 40 dollars for the activities pass so you can do both skating and snow tubing plus everything else if you just want to come in and shop and see the lights and get some food it's ten dollars for general admission uh, tickets are on charlottenights.com but i would encourage anybody to come out because i've been to basically every major holiday event that happens in the city throughout the season and I know I'm biased, but I truly do believe that Light the Nights is the creme de la creme. It's the top of the list, the number one thing. So come check it out. Yeah, last year I got to go, and it was a lot of fun. I think it's a good experience for like college kids who might not be able to get home for the holidays. They get a little taste of Christmas this Definitely. time of the year. Yeah, I agree. I know you have a skating background, and you got the ice rink out there at your office now during the day. What's it like having that out there? How often do you go out there and skate? Well, I'm actually about to lace up my skates and go out here in about an hour. So I usually make it out 
four days a week, I would say. I'm out there a lot and I love it. Like skating was my whole life growing up. So having the chance to now couple two things I love with the nights and baseball along with skating is just something I would have never thought would happen. I would have never imagined a few years ago before the Knights started doing this, that they would have a huge NHL regulation size rink in the infield. But that's what's great about this organization. Like they're pushing the envelope constantly. They're always being so creative. So huge kudos to everyone that puts this on and I get to reap the benefits because I get to go out there and skate. I will say I'm probably not as good as I was when I was like 18, 17, like grinding it out, skating every day at Extreme Ice Center, training, taking lessons competing but I can still do a couple things like you can still teach an old dog some new tricks so it's fun yeah when you with the Knights having that rink I know they're working with the checkers they are gonna have an outdoor game kind of all your worlds are colliding into one what's that like is that really exciting what's the atmosphere at the stadium for that it is so exciting I've been counting down the days until this game for months now basically since april when they announced that the game would be happening i've been counting down the days it's been great because like you said my worlds are colliding so the people here at the knights and the people at the checkers that i work with are working together now and i'll get to do a little bit for both teams so you know basically work for the checkers in their game at the stadium where the knights play and again it's the place that i work during the day all the time so it's going to be great everyone here for the knights are so excited everyone at the checkers are pumped i know that people in the community are beyond thrilled for this like tickets sold out almost instantly when it came to the bowl seats we just have standing room only available right now so people are hyped up about it i mean we saw how well the stadium series did last year in raleigh i think to have this at the ahl level here in charlotte it's huge for the sport of hockey and we just continue to see how much hockey has grown in the south how much it's grown in north carolina and this is not just going to be a hockey game it's going to be an event and i always say it's the can't miss event of the winter of the new year so limited tickets remain for the outdoor classic but yeah, I'm counting down the days. I don't want Christmas to be over, but at least when it's over, you know how you have that kind of like lull after where you're like sad and you're like, oh, the holidays are over. I'm so happy this game is happening because I don't think my lull or my like sad phase will hit until after that game is over. Um, You get to do your skating at the checkers with the job. Was that something that was required or did they even know that when they hired you? Or was that something you brought in afterwards? Well, they knew it when they hired me because I walked in for my audition and I saw on the ice that there was a Disney on Ice logo. And I was like, oh, that was my dream. Like growing up, I considered doing Disney on Ice. It was something that I thought about doing for a while, but I ended up going to college. So we kind of talked about it at the audition, but it was never like a requirement for me to have to do it. And actually, like the first five or six games I did for the checkers last season, I didn't skate at all. And then I finally went to Zach Harvey, who's the director of creative services and in-game producer, and he's my boss there. And I was like, hey, like, can I skate? Like, I think this would enhance things so much. And like, I could do skating interviews and all this stuff. And he was like, absolutely. And that's something that's amazing about the checkers is they're always so receptive to being creative and pushing the boundaries and having fun. And so we've been able to do that ever since I brought that up last year. They really love it. 
Tara Black, the COO of the Checkers, who is incredible, really enjoys it. So it seems like the fans like it too. And I obviously love it. So no, it was not a requirement, but it's something we kind of brought in to enhance the experience. And I think it's been super fun. And I just finished up a couple interviews with Spencer Knight and Mackie Samuskevich with the Checkers. And we actually skated together, me and Mackie did. So we were doing like goal celebrations and all this stuff. And uh, I think it helps you a little bit, you know, like wanting to get into hockey reporting and whatnot and working for the Checkers. It maybe gives you a little uh, extra street cred with the players, a little level of respect where they're like, okay, like she can skate, like she knows what's up. She may have, you know, never been checked into the boards while playing hockey, but she's been up at five o'clock in the morning like I have at a freezing cold rink trying to grind it out to achieve a dream. Checkers this season, I think they're four and six in their last 10 games. What have you seen from the team? Like what's been going right? What needs to be fixed a little bit? I think it's a super talented group of players and the checkers have been really, really good for several years now. I mean, they won the Calder cup back in 2019. They've made the playoffs, I think for five straight years now. So they've been a very successful team over these last few years. I think this year they'll continue to be successful. They've had a little bit of a, a rough spot here as of late. I think the thing for them is just starting fast. So sometimes they might dig themselves a, a little bit of a hole. Uh, so getting ahead of things, you know, scoring the first goal of the game, as little as that sounds, it is big for confidence when you're playing in those situations. So I think that's the big thing with them, but they just went on a road trip. They won two out of those three games and they beat the Hershey Bears, who are the best team in the American Hockey League right now. They won the Calder Cup this past season. They are really really good Hershey just came to Charlotte last week and beat the checkers twice so it was good for the checkers to go on the road and and get a win against a really good team but I mean Hershey they're Washington's affiliate and their goalies are NHL caliber goalies but I mean you could say the same thing about the checkers like Spencer Knight has been fantastic recently Mackie Samuskevich is really starting to find his groove so it's getting productivity from all four lines and I think the checkers will continue to do that but I think the biggest thing for them is is just you know continuing to to start fast and, and win puck battles and you know get a net front presence I think second chance opportunities are big for them and if they continue to find those second chance opportunities around the net I think that they will find uh, a lot more success this season based on you know the success that they've already found you know they used to be affiliated with the Her Carolina Hurricanes they kind of lost that relationship with the community when they switched affiliations with the Florida Panthers, but um, the Hurricanes head coach, Rob Brendamore, isn't his son on the team? What's that connection like for the team and the community with a lot of Hurricanes fans in the area? Yes, Skylar Brindamore is on the team, which is super cool. Uh, obviously, you got a lot of people that come to Checkers games that are big-time Hurricanes fans, so that's awesome. I know Skylar has gotten a lot of attention from the media for it, which is great. Uh, but, you know, Rod has been extremely successful up at Carolina. He's been great for the Hurricanes, and you have to commend him for that. It's been so awesome to watch and, and great to see really how hockey has grown in the state and a lot of that goes to the hurricanes and it's a huge credit to them and what they've been able to do from that standpoint so i think it's great that skylar's on the team they can be close uh you know i'm sure rod will try to get down to a couple games it's obviously very hard with his schedule and he's traveling everywhere and you know worried about coaching the hurricanes who are a stanley cup favorite but I think the greatest thing with Skyler is like he can be his own person as well. And, and I really hope that people like remember that. Like the last name Brindamore is 
very distinct and when you hear that you're going to immediately think of Rod Brindamore. It's not like my last name Smith where a million people have that last name. But I hope that people know that Skyler can be his own person. He can be his own player. And yeah, he is Rod's son. But first and foremost, he's Skyler Brindamore. And I want for him to, to be able to create that own legacy of his. And I think he's been doing a really good job this season. And I hope that other people can recognize that too. You've had the opportunities to cover a lot of sports from college athletics to the minor leagues. I want to know, who is your favorite interview you've ever had and why? Oh, that's such a hard question. And, you know, you'd think I'd have like an immediate off the bat answer to that. But it's really difficult. I think for every sport, there's probably a different person that I could go with that's been really good. When I was here last year with the Knights, I interviewed Olay Jimenez and he was really great and just super nice. But we've had like Chase Selesky for the Knights has been amazing. Like he's one of my favorite players to interview. I've interviewed him like five or six times, but he is amazing. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. He is always down to talk about it. So we've done Barbie videos together and we've talked about serious things after a really good start for him. So he's been great. I enjoyed interviewing Steve Smith this past year, Carolina Panthers legend. That was a really like raw kind of emotional interview was about mental health. And I really, really enjoyed that one as well. Uh, and, you know, Sam, I, I know you're not a South Carolina fan, but I will be a little bit biased in this answer. I graduated from South Carolina uh, traveled along with the football team for a couple years. Shane Beamer has been a huge influence on my life and just amazing. Uh, so any opportunity to talk with Shane and also I would say Spencer Rattler. Like Spencer is just such a classy person. And I interviewed him before he even played a snap of football for South Carolina and he was wonderful. So those people are always going to stick out in my mind as just interviews where it was it was really good. Um, and then the last person isn't an athlete, but I interviewed Chris Button. She's one of the sideline reporters for ESPN College Football and Basketball and Baseball. And um, I did that when I was a freshman in college. I was so nervous to interview her, uh, but she was incredible. And now she's doing New Year's Six Bowls, and she's amazing. So shout out to Chris. Oh, well, Kendall, that's all I've got for you. Thanks again for coming on today. And I hope you have a really good holiday season. Thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate you having me on. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy new year to everybody listening and stay safe, have fun out there. Once again, thank you to Kendall Smith, Charlotte Knights team reporter and Charlotte Checkers on ice host for joining us today and talking about her experience as a local sports media member and all the challenges that comes with that and all the good things going on for those teams at this part of the year. As someone who's worked in professional baseball since I was 17 years old, I think when we talk about this professional sports stuff right now, I think the first segment I want to talk about is Major League Baseball. As a Dodger fan, I'm really excited with the big news that broke. Shohei Otani made his free agency decision, decided to sign with the Dodgers for a record-breaking 10 years, $700 million, which far exceeds the second-highest contract in Major League Baseball history and is the largest contract in all of professional sports in history. Now, what really rocked the landscape of professional sports and baseball in general is he deferred $680 million of that contract till after it's over. He's only going to be taking $2 million a year as he plays for the Dodgers, which is going to prove to be extremely beneficial to the Dodgers 
as they'll have a lot more cap space to work with to sign other key pieces for the team. A lot of other team fan bases were all excited when they saw the huge contract come out for Otani for the Dodgers. They're like, good, he's no longer going to be looking at Yamamoto or Blake Snell. They're, they're out of those races. But then it came out the massive deferrals. That doesn't mean they're out of that race at all. That means they just got more ammunition to get them. I think it's going to make the Dodgers obviously World Series favorites every year. They're in that running. He puts them over the top, but not just as a player. Last two seasons, the Dodgers have obviously been trimming cap space to make room for him. There's no way they went into this offseason thinking they were going to be able to sign him to that type of contract with all those deferrals. Everything they've planned for the last two seasons, cutting costs, going with the youth movement to save money so they could afford Otani's cap hit. All of that's kind of gone out the window now because his cap hit is nowhere near what it was going to be. They have a chance to use all that Otani money they had budgeted for and use that to sign these other guys and be even a bigger contender. But it's not just beneficial to Otani. Playing for the Dodgers, taxes are a lot higher on your contract in California as opposed to other states. So by doing the deferrals that way, after his contract time runs out with the Dodgers, if he goes and moves to a different state, all of that $68 million a year deferral money is not going to be taxed like a California resident, which is hugely beneficial to him and the Dodgers moving forward. And he's not going to make them do any interest on the money looking ahead. So I think it's a win-win for both teams. A lot of fans are upset, but teams have been deferring money for years. Everyone talks about the Mets' Bobby Bonilla day. They pay him a million dollars every year. It's nothing new in baseball. It's not cheating the system. It just takes guys who are willing to wait because money tomorrow is not as valuable as money today. I think this is a good move for both teams. They got a player that wanted to do it. It's kind of his idea. Works out well for the future. It's going to be interesting to see the ripple effects of that as this offseason moves forward with the winter meetings behind us and spring training coming up on the horizon. A lot of pieces to be moved around. It's be interesting to see how baseball shakes up from that monumental move the Dodgers made. Baseball needed their biggest star in a big city where he's playing in playoff baseball. He's never had a single game in the playoffs. Dodgers make it every year. It's a match made in blue heaven, as Dodger fans would say. I think it's good for the sports, good for the game. Look forward to see how it plays out this season. And looking to a local team, the Charlotte Hornets haven't been winning games recently, but the team seems to be playing really well together. I think a real unsung player has been Terry Rozier this season especially with the LaMelo ball injury. He's been able to take back his normal pure point guard role, and it's been working really well for him. He has been playing on fire recently. He had the game where he hit in their most recent game against the Heat. He was so close to pushing them over to a late win over the Heat where they lost 116-114. to 114. But in that game, he had eight three-point made, 13 assists, and their last win against Toronto where they won by three. He had 13 assists as well there. He's been playing excellent with LaMelo Ball being out. And for a team like this who's looking for the rebuild a little bit and their star point guard being out, he can either be a building block moving forward or this is a great audition for a team that might want to trade for him. He could bring in a lot of assets with the way he's playing. A lot of contending teams would like to have him. Then another key player has been playing excellent for him recently is rookie Brandon Miller. I know we talk about him every week, 
with the guy shooting 40% from the three-point line, and that's something that's been drastically needed for the Hornets in recent years, and he seems to be playing better and better each day. Teams haven't overall been successful, but they've been playing really well basketball together, which is vital in a rebuilding team. they got to find a way to win and finish these games. If they do that, they could be a very dangerous team when fully healthy as they grow and develop as a franchise moving forward. Another local team that's on the rise, building up slowly, but is recent expansion team, Charlotte FC soccer team. They announced their third head coach in their three years of existence with Dean Smith, who brings a really talented resume to the table, having coached in the Premier League. I think this might be one of Tepper's best coaching hires. We'll see if it works out and if Tepper will give him the time to build the team right. He's highly touted as having a good eye for talent and player recruitment, which would be vital for the team as they look to grow and fix some of their issues they've had in recent this recent season. I think the key here for any team that David Tepper owns, will he be patient enough to let the coach figure it out and build something special? Because there's always a saying, Rome wasn't built in a day. you got to give your coaches time to figure it out and build what needs to be built. Tepper hasn't had a strong history of that, considering Charlotte FC's season. They're going to start their third season with a third head coach. It'll be interesting to see how they do next season and how Dean Smith affects the franchise as they move forward with him at the helm. Then looking at the other team that plays in Bank of America Stadium, the Carolina Panthers, they lost 28-6 to to the New Orleans Saints this past weekend. Wasn't the most pretty game in the world. Quarterback Bryce Young threw 13 for 36, 137 yards, took four sacks for 38 yards. Wasn't his prettiest game in the world. I thought they could have. They left a lot to be desired out there. I don't know why they didn't run the ball more. Chuba Hubbard had 23 carries for 87 yards. Miles Sanders, 10 carries for 74 yards. Even Bryce Young was able to scramble and get 40 yards on three scrambling attempts. I think they could have won that game if they ran the ball more because Derek Carr on the other side of the field didn't have that great a game either. Yeah, he completed 18 of 26 passes, but only had 119 yards to show for it. I think both teams left a lot to be desired and shows why that division is wide open for everyone but the Panthers moving forward. Panthers' next game is a home game against the Atlanta Falcons on December 17th, 1 o'clock at Bank of America Stadium. They host their end-division rival. Interesting to see how that game goes. Desmond Ritter is coming off a fantastic performance where he threw for 347 yards against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, ultimately losing that game 29-25. to See how he can build off that performance and find a way to will his team to a win against this struggling Carolina Panthers team. Should make for a somewhat good game. Interesting how that one goes. But if we look across the NFL, the game last week that I chose to be the game of the week, Bills versus Kansas City Chiefs, I don't think it disappointed. It wasn't the high-scoring game that both teams probably figured it was going to be, but it did go down to the wire with the Bills winning 20-17. to There's a little controversy over a correct flag being thrown on a what would have been a beautiful play if it hadn't been negated by the flag. That's why those flags are thrown before the play happens. They're thrown the moment the ball was snapped. Tony was offsides. The ref who threw it, he didn't know that Travis Kelsey was going to do a lateral to lead to that beautiful touchdown. I think that showed how Patrick Mahomes hasn't had to face any adversity really in his time in the NFL. 
That was his first career back-to-back loss in his entire time with the Chiefs, and he did not seem to take it very well. He was yelling and cussing at the refs, really throwing like a temper tantrum, like a almost like a spoiled toddler who's never gotten the word no said to him. It wasn't a good look, who before had been a really lovable guy, even as a Bills fan personally, I couldn't help but like him. But from that game, I just don't know how to feel about him. It's a tough one. I know the emotions run high, but that's why they give you that down period after the game before you go into your press conference. Then he doubled down, calling out the refs for holding back greatness. Not really a good look from Mahomes. Interesting to see how he responds. His receivers haven't done him any favors this year. He's faced more adversity than ever. Interesting to see if this issue spirals on him, facing adversity he's never seen before. Then on the Bills' side of that game, that was a monumental win for them. They needed that to stay alive. And with the Dolphins' loss on Monday night, the division hopes are actually alive. Last week we were talking about the Bills just surviving for the playoffs. Now they have hopes to maybe even win the division. They got a tough schedule ahead, hosting the Dallas Cowboys, which might be the game of the week this week. Before going to the Chargers, then hosting the New England Patriots, ending the year at Miami. I think the dream scenario is that Week 18 matchup at Miami. The winner of that will win that division. That's everyone's dream matchup. You want those last games of the season to count. Because we've seen in previous years where players get sat because the game's not really important. I think the NFL wants it to be that way. So hopefully it does end up being that way. But as we wrap up, the game of the week this week that I'm picking... Honestly, there's not a lot of good options. I hate to pick the Bills back-to-back weeks, but I think their matchup with the Cowboys is going to be the premier matchup. It's at 425 in Buffalo. be interesting to see how the Cowboys, who are a lot better home team, do on the road up in the cold weather. That should make for a really good game. Dak Prescott's been playing some of the best football of his life. Josh Allen's starting to find it again. Should make for a very good matchup on Sunday with high playoff implications. With the Cowboys looking to secure their division title and the Bills still looking to stay alive and maybe contend for their own division title moving forward this season. But that's all I got for you guys. Thank you for listening. Once again, thanks to Kendall Smith for joining us today. Kind of the slow season for college athletics. I'll have more transfer portal updates next week. See how things are shaping up for Charlotte football more men's and women's basketball updates. But once again, thank you for listening. Hope you have a great start to your holiday break.